0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Rise Podcast, where we connect with inspiring and motivational guests to hear their experiences in developing their resiliency, identity, strength, and empowerment. I'm your host, Aaliyah Miller, and our guest today is Daryl Aurora. Daryl is a former former elite-level gymnast, a three-time national champion, and a Penn State gymnastics alum. She's also a former powerlifting record holder in the bench press and deadlift. She earned her master's degree in occupational therapy, where she currently Mm -hmm. specializes in pediatrics. Daryl is a mother of two young girls, a dog mom, and a lover of fitness. Welcome, Daryl. Thanks for coming on the show today. How yeah, are you?
1: Thank you so much. I'm doing great. Um, it's an honor, you know, to be on the show and uh, kind of get away from talking to toddlers
0: all day and <laughs> be able to talk to an adult. <laughs> I love it. A little so change of pace. Yeah, <laughs> actually, carrying on a conversation. Um, exactly. So, speaking of, can you kind of tell us a little bit more about uh, what pediatric occupational therapy is and what exactly it is that you do?
1: Absolutely. So, actually, April is OT month, so this is um, a great time to be able to advocate for our profession. Um, well, occupational therapy—it's a healthcare profession. Um, we've really focused on the function of um, daily activities. So whereas we we always compare to physical therapy because everybody knows what physical therapy is and occupational therapy always gets lost um, within there. Um, But physical therapy works on, you know, the strength and range of motion and pain management, things like that, where we work on those things too, but we work on them with the function of actual daily activities. So getting dressed brushing your teeth, toileting, bathing, all of those activities. So in pediatrics, I focus on what are the things, what are the skills that children do from birth to really high school age, but I kind of focus on the the younger um, children. So dressing skills, play skills, um, sensory integration, you know, some kids have some sensory issues, some noises are too loud. Um, you know, in different environments, they have a difficult time participating with other children. Um, some OTs work in school-based where they help um, with fine motor skills, like cutting, handwriting, grasp, all things like that. Um, where I focus on, I work in more of that early intervention. So that's like birth to age three, um, which are like the golden years of development. Um, where I work on the developmental milestones, are kids meeting the milestones? Is it because of a underlying disability? Is it maybe they were premature? Maybe um, you know something within the environment? Maybe they're not—they um, don't have access to certain materials that can help them, um, you know, develop a little quicker. So I go into the home and work um, with the families and do a lot of parent coaching and things like that to, to talk about the importance of tummy time and, and give them different tools, maybe even um, you know, provide them with some materials or um, give them examples of some toys and things that could help with, uh, with their children and their development. So just okay. think OT function of daily activities that we okay. all take for granted.
0: <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Um, and is that something that like, how does a kid, uh, or how does a parent decide that their kid needs occupational therapy? Is it, is it something that anybody can do or is it just like certain things that identify, Hey, we need to, um, get an OT in here. How, how does that work?
1: Great question. So, um, in that zero to three population, that's like I said, early intervention, um, you can contact your state's uh, health department, um, Typically, parents will notice, you know, when they go to their pediatrician, there's always a checklist of developmental milestones. Are they hitting this? Are they sitting? Are they crawling? Are they um, bringing toys to their mouth, for example? Those are some things. If there are red flags, typically a pediatrician would say, you know, maybe if it's something more physical, they're not walking, things like that, maybe we'll go more towards the physical therapy route if they're not playing appropriately with different toys, or they're having difficulty with feeding skills, maybe bringing a cup to their mouth, or they're very picky eaters, um, things like that, OT would be um, uh, notified. So parents, really, it's all about education. Okay. So parents, you know, um, a pediatrician should be educating parents on, you know, the different areas whether they need speech therapy or pt or ot um and in the school if if you know beyond age three if they're in the school environment teachers teachers are are really most most of the time but in my experience they have been um, very educated on what are those red flags like i have a seven-year-old who's holding a pencil a really funky way or who's not able to cut or they're falling out of their chair they they kind of understand what it is that we do. And most of the time there's an OT in the classroom or not in the classroom, in the school, um, that they can contact and, and talk to them about any issues that they're having.
0: Got it. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. so it seems like OT is something that you're very passionate about. Um, <laughs> can we kind of back up a little bit and can you tell us about, sure. um, maybe like where you come from, what, inspired you to go into OT, how you figured out what it is that you're so passionate about?
1: Absolutely. Um, Well, I'm, I'm, you're right. I am very passionate about (laughs) OT as you'll, you know, get to get to know me. um, I put a lot of passion into pretty much everything I do. And that kind of goes into your identity, you know, piece of your podcast where no matter what I do, I've, I'm I kind of full asset. <laughs> you know, I don't have half ass the half asset. Sorry, I gotta had to <laughs> no other that way to analogy, do it. <laughs> But you know what I mean. Yeah. So um so yeah, I grew up um I grew up in New Jersey, and still live here. I um, started gymnastics at age six, and um, that became my identity for a long time. Um, I was a, a high level, as you mentioned, I was a high level gymnast. I, um turned, uh, or I qualified for elite gymnastics when I was 14, Um, traveled all over the country uh, on different competitions. And um, I went to national training camp. I went to the Olympic Training Center, uh, the Karoli camp as well, um, you know, through my time and then earned a scholarship to Penn State, which was my number one school at the time. I had a couple different scholarship offers, but it was close enough to home where I didn't have to fly. I fell in love with Penn State the moment, as you can see, the moment <laughs> I got there. Um, everything. You know, I loved the team. I loved the the whole atmosphere. So, um, so I started training um, and competing for them. Um, I was a beam and floor specialist. And Through that time, I, on the side, I coached a little bit. I also helped out with the Special Olympics um, in Pennsylvania. They used to have their um, competitions and things at the Penn State um, gym. So we would go, we would help, um, you know, bring them around. We would do um, award ceremonies. We would do some judging as well. So that was, you know, Always something that I was interested in. And I even coached, even in club before college. I coached since I was about like 14, um, just helping out with different classes because I lived in the gym. I was there. I trained 30 hours a week at one time. And because of that, I homeschooled as well between fourth and 10th and grade. So I trained in the morning, did school at the gym, and then trained in the evening. And I did that for many years, seven years I was, <laughs> I was homeschooled. So, um, so talk about passion. I was very passionate um, for that <laughs> route, but it was the only, only way I could, you know, get the training in that I needed. Um, so going back you know, a little bit. Um, so yeah, so helping out with the special Olympics. I also, I worked at, um, when I think it was over the summer, um, when I wasn't, didn't have to train as hard, um, cause we weren't competing then. Um, I worked at a group home and I helped um, adults with with special needs, again, doing daily activities from the moment they w- woke up, helped them get dressed, helped them bathe, help them go to the bathroom, cooked for them, helped them feed, did all their medications. And these were, oh, this was all things I did before even applying to OT school. It was just a, a passion of mine to help other people. Um, once I uh, graduated from Penn State, um, I actually met my my now husband at Penn State um, in sophomore year. We were good friends, and we decided, hey, let's move to California. let's let's, you know, just just let's do it. We have nothing really holding us here. Let's go to California. He wound up opening up a fitness gym. Um, I've mentioned before, he was a strength and conditioning coach and opened up a gym. And I said, all right, I'm gonna to apply to OT school. No OT schools within, and this is when I lived in Davis, California, mm-hmm. um, no OT schools within the area. <sighs> the closest one was in the Bay Area. So I wound up um, getting into to one of my schools and uh, which was one of the only ones I had the choice of going to and um, commuted. Every day for it was about a two-hour drive there and about a two-hour drive home because every of traffic. Every day, every day. Oh I my!
0: Did it. I think our
1: classes were. I, we think our classes were four days a week. Okay. And wow. our program was three years.
0: That's <laughs> <So> commitment.
1: <laughs> it was commitment. It was commitment. I think back now, I don't know how I did it. I did it then, and I. I just, I don't even know, like, I, don't, I can't even like put it around my head how I sat in the car for that long, but I did it. It was my, the only thing I could do. Um, I, I will say there were some times if I had like, I mean, finals week, or if I had a few exams during that week, I would actually stay, sleep on a couch of one of my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I've stayed in a hotel before just to like be able to be there and not have to spend so much time in the car, waste time you know for studying and things like that but I um it was the only way I could I could get it done and the only school around so I had to do it I had to just suck it up and, and get it done but um I'm 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 getting to the question <laughs> I'm getting there I'm like trying to remember what the question was but you know so so through coaching through helping at the group home I always was, um, very motivated and very, um, inspired by people who just didn't take things for granted. Um, whether it was, um, helping a, a young kid who I, have had, I've worked with kids with a variety of disabilities, cerebral palsy, autism, um, so many, you know, different obstacles that they've had to deal with in their, in their life and helping them in the gym, it, my whole um, um, aspect of gymnastics and everything completely changed because, you know, seeing them overcome different obstacles. How, do, how are you not inspired, you know, by, by things like that? They have the best attitudes. They work hard, they don't let, you know, anything that is going on in their life kind of get in their way. They're happy, they're excited. I, I didn't even really know what occupational therapy was when I was in college until I started working at the group home. I started, um, you know, helping out at the gym, but all of those things that I did made me go, wow. I've got a, this is something I want to do. What, what is the job that I can do where I can help children? I can help adults do just daily things that, like I said, we take for granted, you know? Um, And occupational therapy was, was the track I went on and I've been passionate about it ever since.
0: That's really cool that you had so many experiences that you didn't even realize were kind of Driving you towards this path that you ended up being so passionate about, and passionate to the point where you were willing to drive two hours a day, four days a week for three years to do it, right. <laughs> or I guess exactly. four hours a day, two hours one way. Um, yes, <laughs> but it's it's really cool when you know something like that to a lot of people would seem like you know oh that's an obstacle that I can't overcome like four hours of driving a day. There's only 24 hours in the day for three years. Can't do it. Not going to happen. But when you, when you realize that you're capable of doing hard things and you're capable of doing challenging things and amazing things can happen when you just do those hard things, like that's, that's really cool. And seeing people succeed in things like that is, is really exciting. I think. Thank you. Um, Yeah.
1: I mean, And you know, I have to credit like gymnastics and that training for my ability to keep pushing. You know, I mean, I in the beginning when I first started commuting um, to school, which I was like, oh my god, I'm crazy. I'm I'm waking up at five. I'm on the road by like I think I was on the road by like six, six fifteen, just to beat some traffic. There's no way to beat it all.
0: There's always. I used to remember
1: ah oh, always oh my god i used to pass by napa valley which beautiful i mean i had the best commute but it was yeah it was a lot um but i used to think like i used to at 6:30 in the morning be on a balance beam and have to do competition like routines and have to be you know completely awake and ready to go at that time so i would think i could be doing that Or I could be sitting in the car, listening to music and just, you know, kind of relaxing, looking at the scenery, there's cows on the road you know, there's (laughs) just a beautiful, beautiful, you know, scene, always sunny. Right. Um, so having those tough experiences in college and, you know, just within my, my gymnastics career, absolutely prepared me for anything, (laughs) you know, um, I, and you know, as you mentioned, like many people would say, it's, it's just too hard. I'm giving up on this. But for me, I had no choice. If I wanted to do OT and I wanted to stay in California and do these things, this was the only school that I could go to. And the only opportunity that I was able to, to, to do those things. So for me, I didn't even think twice about it. Now I look back and said, well, I guess I could have, you know, maybe live somewhere else. I don't know. <laughs> I wanted to, I had you know I was in a serious relationship I loved our apartment that we were in we had, do- had you know a dog at the time that was my family <laughs> I wanted to do that so yeah I was willing to do whatever it whatever it took
0: that's awesome so um, going from the transition of you know completely focused on gymnastics to now moving into a, a career in occupational therapy and I mean, at some point there was powerlifting in between there. Um, how, how did you make that shift? Cause you said, you know, gymnastics was your identity for years growing up. And how, how were you able to kind of make that shift out of gymnastics and into something else without feeling like you were completely losing yourself?
1: Mm-hmm. Again, great question. And that is something that. I mean, ask any gymnast who, or really athlete who's been in that sport for a long time, There's, they're still battling it. I mean, there's, there's no way to completely take the athlete out of, of you, you know, and your identity. It really, it, you're always going to, you know, have a little bit of that, which led me into powerlifting. Um, I went, I, I was. My last competition was in 2012. I started training powerlifting within the next year. Um, Luckily, you know, having a uh, now husband who owned a gym, very easy to be able to lift some weights, you know, and get in the gym and do those things. So he, you know, he was Olympic training certified. He was CrossFit certified. He had all of those things and powerlifting background. He got me into that. He said, I wanted to compete. I was like, what's the next thing I can do where I could compete and travel a little bit? Um, and just have that mentality of training for something, right? So it was an it was a very smooth transition, honestly, for me to go from gymnastics to powerlifting and the, the, a lot of parallels. Like it was very similar training you got goals. I had to make weight. I had to do all those things. So I was like, had a very rigid routine and had a schedule for my training and all of that. All while I was in OT school. Crazy, but um, it helped me. I mean, it was something I was used to, balancing school and, and sport, right? So for me, it was actually a fairly, I don't want to say simple, but it was a smooth transition from gymnastics to powerlifting, to, to OT because whatever I do, I, I, you know, put my, my, you know, focus into it. And, um, and that's, like I said, the only way I've been able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish is, you know, putting that, that focus into it. And um, there was, that was the only way, but I, I do know, you know, I have a lot of friends of mine who it took years for them to find something that they were passionate about, but the amount of friends of mine who have gone into CrossFit, who have gone into other sports running. Um, I did, I've done two Spartan races too. Um, again, it was like, here's, I hate running, hate it, but I was like, I like the obstacles. I'm good at that part. So I did a sprint and I did the other one that was like a 10 K or something like that. Um, but it was, it was fun. I loved being able to train for something. And that was the part that just couldn't leave me.
0: Yeah. So. Just having, having a purpose for what you were doing. Sounds like.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, with the thing about gymnastics, maybe compared to some of the other sports is the focus on body image. -hmm. And sorry about that. I don't even know how to turn that off the notification. Um, You're good. (laughs) The focus on um, body image and strength, and we did some weight training and things when we were in college as well. But you're you're always focused on having you know being in shape and working out, and you know we had to get body fat tested, and you're always meeting with a nutritionist and all of those things. So being able to still do those things without the pressure of having to be in a leotard or, you know, make a, you know, be like being a leotard on national TV and, um, and always be kind of, I don't want to say criticized for your weight, but you're always really conscious Mm -hmm. of it. Cause in gymnastics, two pounds up or down, is going to make a difference in your skills. You just feel that whereas in powerlifting, you, you know, you need that strength, you know, you need it. And I I I was actually in better shape as a power lifter than I was as a gymnast, just because I took that pressure off of everything I ate had to be like this. I had a better understanding of nutrition and fitness and what how to fuel my body versus starve it for you know, just to be able to do this, this body fat testing, you know, yeah. I, all of my friends, we would like joke about like, oh, you know, what are you going to have after you get your body fat <laughs> testing, you know? And we would like, that's when we would, we would go crazy. Cause we would eat nothing the night before nothing the morning of didn't drink water or anything just to, to get, you know, to be in a certain category for yeah. your body fat testing. And then we go over to the dining halls and get like the biggest bagel sandwich that you ever could. And, um, and that's how we did it. But yeah. it was it was when, you know, we, I started powerlifting and doing just different forms of fitness that I was actually in better shape. I was happier and I could make weight and maintain weight so much easier because I wasn't constantly fluctuating.
0: Yeah, I have, you know, a lot of friends that have, Gone through various levels of gymnastics, some into college and at that elite level. And I know uh, a lot of former gymnasts struggle a lot with body image and with having a good relationship with food. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds like powerlifting was such a complete 180 for you that it, it helped you, you know, not end up in that mindset that a lot of former gymnasts end up in, where even though they're not competing, that's still the only thing they think about. And they still eat and think about food as if they're this, you know, 90 pound gymnast going on national television in a leotard.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, For sure, yeah. And you see it from a young level, you know, until like through the Olympic level, like you always see, you know, everybody's constantly... Um, you know, looking at, at your body and and your leotard. I mean, I've had coaches over the years say I couldn't wear shorts or something just so they can really be able to see, you know, body changes and things like that. So you just, you have this mentality as a gymnast um, from a very young age that you have to look a certain way. Um, I was only five foot. So that in in the height ways, but if you're five, six, I don't know. Like that's going to be really hard for you. And you can completely, even if you're great, things get a little harder when you're taller. Eh, you're, you know, that's when maybe you'll, you'll transition to something else. But um, I mean, I have gymnastics has helped me in so many ways in and out of the the gym, you know, Um, like I said, it's helped me um, maintain my focus through school and and use that, but it's also helped me with powerlifting and all of those things, just having a good strength base, you know, which is, which is awesome. And I think, I mean, I encourage so many young kids, boys and girls to, to do gymnastics, get into it. It's going to help you in every sport that you do with balance and strength, coordination, bilateral coordination, all of that. So, um, I'm always encouraging, you know, people to, to, try it out. But at the same time, taking a step back and trying not to be so focused on what you look like. And, um, and, and what I like is the sport has changed a lot over the years, especially with, you know, there's been a lot of controversy in, in the Olympic arena and USA gymnastics has been under the spotlight for years for different issues. Yeah. And we'll get into but you've seen girls kind of changing a little bit, and you've seen them be able to do these big skills, nothing better than NCAA, where you change your body's going to change in college. It really yeah. does because you're, of your age and everything. So it, there's been nothing more you know exciting to see girls that are different bodies be able to do these skills and nail them and what a great message that sends to young girls.
0: Yeah, you know? that's, that's really cool. I think, I think it's also kind of shifted in allowing a little bit more um, personality, I guess. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the videos. I think she was a gymnast from UCLA and she always had like the cutest routines, so much of her personality in her floor routines. And thinking about somebody doing that, I don't know, 15 years ago, they would have been laughed off the floor and told that they weren't a serious gymnast. And now yep. she was making national news because of it. And that's mm-hmm. really cool. I like that. I like that. Um, they're actually being allowed to express themselves now through their sport and through their art. Absolutely.
1: Really cool. Well, I mean, kudos to UCLA gymnastics. They <laughs> yeah. are like my Favorite, you know, Penn State always, but my favorite team to watch. I mean, and their choreography is fantastic and it's original and it's just wonderful. But absolutely, I mean, I I know who you're talking about, and (laughs) they've had, they have lots of of gymnasts who have made, you know, national news for just expressing themselves, not being afraid to. And that's, I mean, that's the goal of college is to find your identity, right? And to, you know, burst out of your shell and um, to find, you know, the, uh, to be able to express your personality in especially a floor exercise routine, which is one of the events that I specialized in, but you know, there's, there's no better platform. There's no better um, stage than on the floor to be able to, to do that. And um, but you're right. I've seen an uptick in just overall confidence yeah. And especially in NCAA to be able to, you know, express that. And yeah. I, I think cool. it's great. And I, I love to see it. I'm always excited, you know, <laughs> nationals are, I think, I believe next week. So I'm Ooh. excited to be able to watch the, uh, you know, NCAAs and all and right,
0: see, see all those routines. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, the kind of spark that, had me say, Ooh, I need to bring Daryl on my podcast. Uh, you had posted something on <laughs> Facebook and it was a repost, uh, just, a, an image of text. And mm-hmm. it was something along the lines of, um, you know, if you're ever in doubt, just think like a toddler and it was, you know, toddlers don't care who's watching, they don't care what they look like, they don't care uh, what other people think, they're just gonna do what they wanna do and what they love to do because they just don't care about what other people think. And I saw that and I was like, that is so cool. Like, we all just gotta be like toddlers. Um, and, And I wanted to talk to you about kind of, if working with kids has, shifted your perspective on things and because it really does seem like you know young kids they're carefree they don't they don't realize that the world whether we like it or not puts a lot of expectations on people and we get so wrapped up in what other people think and so I just I kind of want to hear some of your perspective on that and and what it's like to work with kids and see that and if that's had an influence on the way that you live and the way that you kind of see things in your life.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I mean, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm a mom. Um, I have a, a two young girls. One, Saber, who's going to be three in July, and Skyler is going to be six months this month. So um, they are my my loves. Um, <laughs> they're my you know, they, they, they're my biggest accomplishment out of everything that I've done, you know, having these two girls, they're just, they make me so happy, but absolutely. I mean, having a toddler, they don't give a crap about anything. (laughs) I mean, you know, my, my daughter is, is extremely kind and extremely, she's empathetic for, you know, for a two-year-old, but at the same time, well, you know, in the light of light of switch, um, she can 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 shift, and just doesn't care. We'll put a tutu on and her tap shoes and sunglasses, and just dance. You know, doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You know, we I could have I could be watching the news and see some you know horrendous story or something's going on in the in the world. And then I shift my attention to my girls and they're just laughing and just carefree. There is no better medicine than being with, with kids. Um, and I mean, that's been, you know, as you, as you mentioned, you know, being an OT and working with kids, they just, some things that they'll say will get you out of your funk or, You always have to, no matter what's going on in the world or what's going on in your personal life, when you shift into work, especially working with kids, you're focused on them. And that could be, you know, the best thing for anybody to, um, you know, who's going through a hard time to be able to kind of get out of that and, um, you know, listen to what they have to say. Kids, you're right. Kids don't, um, they're innocent. They're carefree. They don't stress about money and school, how am I gonna pay my car? How am I gonna pay rent? They're not worried about those things. They're worried about is you know when when is my show coming on? Or you know, I'm I why don't you have this type of pasta and why is <laughs> it is, is it in a blue bowl and not a purple bowl? That's their stressor. and I can't tell you how many times a day I just, Laugh. And I mean, what better medicine is that? Right. Because some of the things that come out of, you know, my daughter's mouth, for example, are just hysterical. You yeah. know, I just, <laughs> uh, you know, she, she's only had a two hour nap, not a two hour and 15 nap. And that 15 minutes, I'm going to cry on the floor because I didn't sleep an extra 10 minutes, you know, or something like that. Like it's just, it's comical. It, it, it is. But at the same time, they teach you so much about life. And, you know, as that, that post, which was just a repost, <laughs> something I saw, I thought it was kind of funny, but, you know, reading through it, it's like, yeah, people throughout your years are going to tell you, no, like, no, you're, you're not good enough, or their resume doesn't have this qualification, things like this. I think it's good and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to apply for this job anyway, or I'm going to do this. That's a that's a perfect example of how like a toddler will think. They say no while I say yes, right? <laughs> um, and just kind of dance it off, be yourself. I think that one of the statements, um, one of the phrases that I use for my daughter all the time is do you, like, do you kid, be yourself. Um, you know, and, and some of it, I, 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 will be honest, like, I feel like a hypocrite sometimes because it's taken me a really long time to, you know, find my identity. And I was always this, I was always, you know, buy the book and follow the rules. And so it's been hard to kind of, you know, have that confidence to be yourself, to be, you know, um, when you're in a, a group with a bunch of people, how do you stand out? You know, how do you do those things? And having two young girls, like, this is my perfect opportunity to be able to teach them how to do that and to, to be that role model, you know? And I think there's no better way, especially nowadays, you know, when the world is the, the future is female, right? <laughs> to, in, you know, inspire them and to let them know, like, you can do anything, don't let anybody tell you otherwise, right? So um, I, I think, you know, we all have to act a little bit like toddlers, maybe not having the tantrums on the <laughs> ground and things like that, but just, you know, take those risks and not be so afraid, you know, um, don't let what other people say and, and think of you determine your future, you know, put your foot down and, and speak up for, for what you believe is right. I think that's just, no, no one could teach you better than a toddler. (laughs) And I think any parent of a toddler will understand, you know, (laughs) what I mean by that, but they also need to, they also need boundaries and they also need some limits set on (laughs) them too. So I don't want to say that everything she says is right because sometimes, you know, we are the parent and we, we do know what's best, but I just want to put that out there.
0: Well, I'm making it a goal to be more like a toddler from now on. No tantrums, but, uh, you know, when someone right, says no, right. I well, say we yes. All, we all kind of,
1: you know, sometimes sometimes we do want to just scream. And yeah. I, I think there's nothing wrong with that, you know. But some of these tantrums are, are pretty full blown.
0: So. <laughs> um, so kind of related to that, if you could go back and give your younger self advice, what would it be?
1: Again, great, great question, and I've I've said it. I think I just said it in this in this last um, little part here is to not be afraid to um, to take bigger risks. Um, that's been something you know I think about a lot actually, especially when I watch um, when I watch college gymnastics for example. There were so many times I was um, just so nervous about performing and making a mistake, letting people down. Um, and I put so much stress on myself that I laugh at now because, you know, just being being an adult and living in, a, in an adult world with children and who get sick and you have to make this big decisions and um, big financial decisions, uh, you know, as you get older and all of these things that you go through, I say, how can I have, you know, before a balance beam routine, felt like this is the hardest thing I'm ever gonna do in my life. So I laugh at that now. Of course, when I was there, I felt like, okay, this is the, you know, this routine is, is means the, the world and whatever I do here is gonna determine my future. We all think that, right? And we are all very much hard on ourselves. But if I can go back and just give college Daryl a hug and just say, look, this is not the hardest thing you're going to go through. Take a deep breath, have more fun. Don't let this routine determine who you are and just relax, (laughs) relax a little bit and take bigger risks. You know, I mean, I think looking back, like gymnastics took over my college experience for the most part, I mean, it it determines my schedule. Um, I had to stay an extra almost two semesters to be able to get in all the classes in order to graduate. Um, because I couldn't do classes during that, that gym practice time. So I had to shift for years, like, oh, I need to take this physics class, but it's at two 30 and that's when I'm at gym. So I'll have to take that the summer that, that I'm not, you know, um, competing or, you know, whatever. So it, and, a lot of my teammates had to do that as well. We had to really shift our focus, uh, on gymnastics versus the academic portion of being a student athlete for some time until our gymnastics careers were over. So I wish I got a little more involved in, in some things while I was in college. Um, you know, whether it was different groups or, uh, different things outside of the gym, but, I was a gymnast and that was my main focus. So, I do wish I kind of broke out of my shell a little bit then and you know, got a little more involved in in some other things, but looking back, you know, I I did what I did and I don't have any regrets, really. I just yeah, if I had a little more time, I wish I would have done a little <laughs> bit more, but
0: yeah. That's awesome. Well thank yeah. you so much for coming on today. Um, I really enjoyed yeah. our conversation and before we go, I do have one last question um, yes or I guess one last request. You knew <laughs> this was coming. <laughs> um, all right Daryl, let me hear your best dad joke.
1: Okay, so I have two because I I was I was like again whatever I do, I'm passionate and I I have to plan. That's just who I am. So I was like Googling like different dad jokes and things like that. And then I'm coming up with an original here. My husband actually said it, it was, um, and it's, it's lame, but that's a dad joke for you. Right. So we were at a, um, a Passover Seder a couple of years ago from my dad's side of the family and they have gefilte fish, which is like a, you know, not not my favorite thing but it's yeah. like a jelly like fish that goes around right and my husband wound up saying i'm going to pass over the like gefilte fish <laughs> pretty funny you know pass over yeah whatever oh my god so that I was that it. was one of the original ones i'm going to you know use and then i have to do a um from michael scott from the office um <laughs> I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. It's one of my favorites. So I had to, had to take something from the office. One of my favorite shows. So.
0: I love them both. Both love top it. quality dad <laughs> jokes.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Daryl.
1: I appreciate it so much, um, Ellie. I really do. Um, I hope, you know, I- give you all all the credit in the world for, you know, coming up with this podcast. And I hope people, you know, listen and follow and best of luck with, you know, all the other guests as well. Thank
0: you.